Welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore. And I'm Nathan Jones. Today we'll continue our series focusing on Jesus in the Old Testament. As we pick up speed on our way through the Old Testament, we come to the last book in the Torah, Deuteronomy. The title of the book comes from a word that simply means repetition of the law. But there is much to gain from Moses' review of Israel's experience in the wilderness. From God's handing down of the law itself on Mount Sinai to lessons about obeying God and warning about straying from Him, Deuteronomy is a must-read for anyone who wants to understand God's interaction with His people. At the foundation of that interaction is God's faithfulness to His promise to Abraham. He vowed to bless those who would bless Abraham and curse those who would curse him and his descendants. Israel also was given a choice, a blessing or a curse. Today we're going to speak with a wonderful couple who have dedicated their lives to being a blessing in the land of Israel. At an age when most people are enjoying their new role as grandparents and beginning to anticipate retirement, Dan and Meg Price followed God's calling and set off for the Middle East. Dan and Meg, thank you for joining us today from Israel and the beautiful overlook there, seeing the Sea of Galilee in the background. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Nathan. It's great to be with you. Yeah, the Lord has given us a, a wonderful uh, a day here with great temperatures and uh, almost clear view. Almost clear view. Yes, sir. Well, I wish we were there with you, quite frankly. You know, the two of you all both hail from Kentucky, and people would think perhaps that's where we first interacted. But the fact of the matter is, I did not meet you until you were already missionaries in Israel, and I met you during a pilgrimage trip. That's exactly right, Tim. And, you know, if someone had told us before 2009, if you had said to us, that we would be talking like this and that we would be serving as missionaries in Israel. I think we would have thought you were talking about different people, um, had, had us confused with someone else. Now, you all started in Jordan, right, working with displaced people, and then the Lord burdened you to help the Druze people. Uh, until I went to Israel, I didn't really know anything about the Druze people. So maybe you could tell us how you came to work with the Druze people and what do they believe? What does their faith believe? Yeah, that's right, Nathan. We did actually start in Jordan, but the Lord brought us over to Israel in a surprising way to a people that uh, are really not very well known throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever we say uh, we minister to the Druze, most of the time people think Druids uh, or something <laughs> like that. But uh, I like or to. Or Jews, because yeah, we're. Or, or Jews, yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, one, of the, one of the interesting things that was told to us uh, before we got into this work was that the two most resistant people groups to the gospel in the whole world are Jews and Druze. And it just so happens that we are actually in the place where both of them are. But the Druze come from a, uh, an offshoot of Shiite Islam from about a thousand years ago. And their, their religion is both a religion and a people group. So you cannot be a, a Druze unless you're born of a Druze parent uh, or two Druze parents. And so uh, they, they don't they don't uh, go out and ask anyone to become Druze. And if you leave the Druze religion, then you're cut off from the people. But I like to term them as the Freemasons of the Middle East. That's uh, a very strange but secretive religion, and you'll find them uh, very closely aligned in that way. Wow. Well, you know, I wanted to have you on today because you all are there in Israel ministering. And so on this episode of Christ in Prophecy, as we focus on those who would bless Israel and those who unfortunately would curse Israel, I know that you're blessing not just the Druze people, but the folks you're living amongst, the Jews there in Israel. And you're observing the culture and discerning the spiritual condition 
of that land in this day and age. So how is Moses' warning of either a blessing or a curse evident in the work that you do day in and day out? Well, we see it with the two groups of Druze that are in Israel. There are those that are here in the actual Galilee where we are sitting right now and those in the Golan. Those here in the Galilee are full participants in the, uh, in, in the society here in Israel. Uh, but those in the Golan consider themselves Syrian. They, they have never uh, identified as Israeli in any way and only uh, about 10% have actually taken Israeli citizenship. So when you go up to the Golan and you see the Druze villages there, you'll find that they're really focused more on Syria than they are in Israel. But whereas those here in the, in the Galilee, they actually love being here in Israel and they are full participants and you can see the blessing that that is to them in their communities here. Wow, that's interesting. Well, if the Druze actually participate in Israeli government and the IDF, unlike the Palestinians, uh, does the Lord bless them for their participation? Do you see the Druze as a growing community? Yeah, I think so. In fact, uh, just uh, I think within the last week or so, the Israeli government formally acknowledged one of the towns that's not far from here as a Druze town. And that kind of recognition is very difficult to obtain here in Israel because most towns obviously are Jewish, but to actually become a Druze town is a very big deal. And so we see that Israel really wants to work with the Druze community to enable them in ways that other communities, which are very much against uh, Israel, are not receiving. So, for instance, they have an excellent education system here in Israel, and the Druze are actually at the very top of that. Wow. Huh. And they do participate in the IDF, as we've said, most of the time. Yeah. At, yeah. Every, high ranks. Yeah, in very high ranks, and not just in the IDF, but in all of the security establishments here in Israel, you will find a Druze person. Wow. But again, that is the Druze in the Galilee, not the Druze in the Golan. Right. And the Druze in the Golan are the ones that the Lord has uh, called us to. Yeah. Very good. Are well, you in the Golan or are you in the Galilee? I'm a little confused. What side of the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee or Lake Knesset we're looking at? We are, we are actually just a little bit above uh, Magdala. So where Mary Magdalene is uh, from. So actually you could, if, if you could zoom in enough, you would actually see her village right there. Uh, one of the things that Moses was very candid about was these two options that we've talked about available to the children of Israel. He foretold that they would eventually disobey and that would provoke God's anger, leading him to scatter them all over the world. So obviously now I'm talking about the Jewish people. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30, Moses prophesied, when you are in distress and all these things, the scattering and the serving of false gods have come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God and listen to His voice. And Moses went on to declare that God is compassionate and He will forgive and not forget the covenant that He swore with their fathers. So as we approach what the Bible calls the latter days, how do you see evidence that all of those things are coming to pass? If not yet the, the recognition of Him as Lord, at least obviously the Lord being faithful to His promise and bringing back the Jewish people. Well, Tim, as you have said, the Lord has promised and He is faithful. But what we see, because while we minister to the Druze in the Golan, we live <clears throat> among Jews on a Moshav. And so we have Jews all around us. But what we see is the, the not yet. They have not yet turned to Jesus as Savior. But we know that what we see is that they turn to anything else any other religion, 
any other thing is optional for them, but because of what they have been taught historically, Jesus is just not an option. But again, that word yet is very important because we know that as times get harder and harder, they will seek the truth and that will lead them to Jesus. It's interesting when I read through the Bible and read the Old Testament and you see again and again, especially in Deuteronomy, that the Jewish people were meant to be a set apart people, a people that were different from the pagans around them. Uh, as you get into Joshua, you, you'll see that they, you know, they don't connect uh, with God's command to, to get rid of the people, but they don't remain set apart. And I look at uh, Deuteronomy 7, 4 there, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and we will quickly destroy you. So here in Deuteronomy, God warns the Jewish people again, hey, you've got to stay separate from the people around you. Uh, it's kind of a, a lesson for me to look at Christians today. You know, we're supposed to be the set apart people. The church is supposed to be different, but we fall into the same trap. I guess that's human nature that the Jewish people did, that we are continuing to... Uh, just fall into the world and let pagan society influence the church instead of vice versa. What can be done about that? How can Christians uh, stay separate? What can we learn from the Jewish people? Well, I think what we can learn is that we must stand firm for biblical truth. You know this as Christian parents. And we have three grown children and six grandchildren. We've been very blessed. And we see that the culture has such a strong pull on them. But we as parents have to take responsibility for our children. They know whether we are actually living what we think we are, whether our walk matches our talk. So as parents, we've seen in Virginia just recently in the gubernatorial election about how parents want to have a say in their children's education. And that's crucial because the culture does have such a pull on them. Very true. Uh, and do you see that in Israel even as people today uh, are not set apart per se? Are they, they grafted into the rest of the world instead of being grafted into the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Very much so. A very, very secular culture. You know, our first trip to Israel was with Dave. And as we came, I was expecting to see very religious people. But the Israeli people are very secular for the most part. So that is what we see, is that they are extremely secular and not following even the Word of God at all. It's very common for a conversation with an Israeli Jew, and we know much more about the, the Bible than they do. So even though they study the Tanakh, which is what they call the Old Testament, even though they study that uh, in high school, we actually as Christians know a whole lot more about their, their Hebrew scriptures than they do. And so it's a very interesting uh, dichotomy where we're coming in as the foreigners and yet into, into the land that was given to them originally, and yet they don't even know the scriptures that are behind it. They know their commentaries. And a friend of mine a couple of years ago said to me, well, you know, in the Torah, we're taught to, we must teach our kids how to swim. And I said, that's not there, but because it's commentaries, it's what they know more than anything else. Yeah, I never forget telling about the, uh, the account of, of God's provision to bring the Jewish people back and how it's a fulfillment of those ancient prophetic promises. And a Jewish person at a museum was listening and they said, I'd never heard that before. And I thought, you're the museum curator <laughs> and you don't even know the promises that are being demonstrated by all the artifacts around you. It, it was shocking to me. But the various ordinances in yeah. Deuteronomy, the second repetition of the law as given by God, 
were there to allow the, the Jewish people to flourish in that day and age and to remain in faithful relationship with God if they were obedient to Him. And they would have enjoyed not only His outpouring of blessing, but the possession of the land itself. And yet they strayed. And so Moses captured the eternal choice that was set before them in that day and age when he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. That's the theme of our, our program today. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. And that word of, of choice between blessing and curse echoes all the way down even into John 3.36, the, the blessing of God or the wrath of God, the curse. Yes, and uh, one of the sad things that you find out about living here in Israel is that they have a culture uh, very much like in America where abortion is not only accepted, but it's encouraged in certain situations. And although theoretically it, it's supposed to be harder to get an abortion here, what we have found is, is that uh, the actuality is, is that many people have abortions. And so Israel is a country that has joined in with that type of way of thinking. And uh, we can see just it, like in America that you're losing whole generations of, of people because of abortion. But it's not only that, the, the, the sins of, of the nation are affecting things like the weather. Today, uh, it was 88 degrees. And we're in November here, and so it shouldn't be that hot uh, still here in, the, in this time frame. And so we're seeing drought, we're seeing heat, and we're seeing other things that are playing out because of that blessing and curse. And they have chosen, unwittingly, they've chosen the curse, and they don't even know it. It's always blown my mind that the Israeli society is so uh, adopts abortion, considering they're trying to grow the country and compete with the Arabs uh, also having children. It reminds me of when Moses got to the promise, and probably one of the big, biggest tragedies in the stories, I think, in the Bible, is Moses spends all those years, 40 years here, and the Israelites gripe and complain. He gets them to the promised land, but because of his sin, God won't let him into it. And, you know, you see the Israelis living in Israel, but they don't yet have the heart for the Lord. They're in the promised land, but they haven't crossed over as Jesus did, uh, provided the way for. So uh, as we look at Jesus in the Old Testament, it, this is, I think, the, the first where we're starting to see in Deuteronomy uh, an example where Moses is a type of Christ, except instead of being kept out of the promised land, he takes us into the promised land when we put our faith and trust in him. Amen. Yeah, I think the same you thing. Know, Go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead, please. No, no, it's just what Nathan's saying is we also are promised uh, that we will be taken to that ultimate promised land in the rapture itself, something we point to all the time here at Lamb and Lion Ministries. Maranatha. <laughs> what, what do the Jewish people, being a secular society, primarily looking forward to? I mean, if we as Christians look forward to the rapture, like mm -hmm. you say, what are they looking forward to? Uh, do they even think they have a future? You know, there's an interesting concept in Judaism called, it's in Hebrew, it's called tikkun ha'olam, which means the rep repairing of the world. And it is a, it, it's, a, it's a way of thinking that basically the average Jew is here on earth to repair the world. Now, if you talk to a religious Jew, they are here to repair the world to prepare for the Messiah to come. But to the average secular Jew, it's just to prepare the world because there's nothing after this. And it's since most Jews, um, they might believe that there is a God, but many do not. And so there's really nothing that is above beyond this world. In fact, we have an Israeli friend 
who was formerly religious, but now not religious. She believes in God, but she's now secular. And one of the things that they're taught is, is that there's no afterlife. And so uh, if, if there is no afterlife, then this world is all you have. And so in Judaism, modern Judaism, a lot of it is just, well, let's repair the world while we're here so we can have a better world. And that means that you end up with all different kinds of false teachings, false religion type things that come into Judaism, and you can see it play out in society. Huh. Well, and not only that, but also there's another expression, mm. in Hebrew. And that means it'll be okay. And that is the Israeli attitude. No matter what they have gone through, and let me say, in the miraculous ways that God has provided through the years, and in more recent times, 67, more 73, we see that they, they talk about the bravery of the people and the excellent strategies, and they never give credit to God, which is very sad to us seeing how God has saved his people. Yes. We have uh, recently had encouragement that even the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett, has a, uh, a faith and has a purpose to pray even at official meetings. And so perhaps he will begin to turn the heart of the people in a very positive direction. I also remind folks even of late that Abraham, who was promised all the land of Israel even today, never realized those promises during his lifetime. So sometimes these are slow motion promises, but Abraham was faithful to trust the Lord even if it took many generations, he knew the Lord would be faithful. I want to turn back again, though, to Moses' last counsel here at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And he has words that foreshadow the very admonition that God would end up giving Joshua, and that is to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, meaning all the peoples living in the land of Canaan at the time, the Canaanites. He said, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail or forsake you. Again, the faithfulness of God, regardless of our faithlessness, is always evident. And y'all have seen that right there in the land. We have seen that, and we've seen it in our own lives. For the past about 12 years, we have been praying a paraphrase of Moses' words to the Lord. And we have said, Lord, if you're not going with us, then don't send us. And the Lord has taken us from Kentucky to northern Cyprus, to Israel, to Jordan, and back to Israel. And every step of the way, we have said to him, Lord, if you're not going with us, don't send us. We never want to be outside of his will. But we have also seen his faithfulness over and over again. Has it always been easy? It hasn't. But he's always faithful. Amen. For folks uh, want to get in touch with your ministry, see your great three by three videos and sign up for your newsletter. How can they do that? You know, the easiest way would just be contact to contact us by email. And that email address is the price team at gmail.com. Oh, we will add them to the list that will get them the monthly newsletter as well as the weekly three and three videos. How can our viewers and how can we here at the ministry be praying for you? What is a, a critical need or an urgency that uh, y'all see in the land that perhaps we in America who are so focused on domestic politics and domestic crises do not always hear about, but you're right there and you can be an eyewitness testimony to how we can be prayerfully lifting you up and lifting Israel up as well. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the main ways that you can support this ministry is by praying for us, as you've just said, but especially our Druze partners, those that have become believers and are partners with us in ministry. Uh, one of uh, our main partners, he was actually 
thrown out of his Druze community about three months ago for the gospel, because of the gospel. And so he now lives in a community about 25 minutes away. And so there is real persecution, even here in Israel, even though it's not illegal to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the enemy of our souls who is against it. And he incites the Druze against those who are proclaiming the gospel. And so our close ministry partner is now not able to be in that village because of that. So pray for him and pray for those that are actually uh, involved in this ministry to be, to be able to be bold, but also to be able to be effective to those who are persecuting those that are already being thrown out. And also, in addition to praying for our partner, also praying for the social media ministry, because primarily right now, because the Druze are living in a closed community, the leaders have a tight control over them. We go in through social media with the gospel via social media. And so that the Lord would bless that, that the people who are ready and open will receive it, will see it and receive it. Well, we do, certainly do keep you all in our prayers here at the ministry. And, and I'm so glad for the, the model that both of you are of being strong and courageous, of not being afraid to launch out in a, a whole new direction at a, a stage of life when many people would be kind of settling in and y'all were bold. I mean, you're like Caleb, give me the high country and, and you went, not as old as Caleb, but with that degree of faithfulness. So Dan and Meg, we're so grateful that you took the time to be with us here today. You're eight hours ahead of us in Israel from where we are in Texas, so it's early morning here, but we are so delighted that we were able to connect with you through the miracle of modern technology, and we do wish the Lord's continued blessing on and through your ministry there in the Promised Land. Lord, we thank you so much for having us. It's been a blessing, and we continue to pray for Lamb and Lion Ministries. Yes, thank you all so much. It's been so wonderful to be with you. Well, Godspeed. Thank you. Much of the Torah deals with God's ordinances of law. Today we are witnessing an unprecedented rise in lawlessness. Major American cities have descended into abject chaos as anarchists run roughshod over people simply trying to live their lives. Gangs of murderous thugs carry out acts of violence with impunity, and thieves now roam about in packs, flagrantly stealing from individuals and stores, confident that they will not be pursued or prosecuted as long as their crime falls below a certain dollar amount. Sadly, in certain locations that need jobs and economic activity the most, major corporations are closing stores and relocating, determined to staunch their losses from theft and their costs for security. Meanwhile, leftist elected officials fiddle while their cities figuratively and sometimes literally burn. That kind of mindless lawlessness harkens back to the state of the world in the days of Noah and is part of what Jesus was referring to when he said, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. But there is an even more insidious threat rising in our society. It is not springing from dark alleys and hidden places, but from the marble halls of power. Courts have taken on a legislative role our founders never intended, creating new laws, including new supposed constitutional rights, from thin air. The battle over life, which some tout as abortion rights, springs from a Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion based on a penumbra of the Constitution. In other words, they crafted a monumental and divisive decision based on a shadow of the text itself. Also troubling, our current president has taken extra-legal audacity to a new level. 
When the progressive left demanded a presidential ban on foreclosures earlier this year, President Biden expressly stated that the Constitution does not give him that authority. Indeed, it does not. But he acted anyway, telling the director of the CDC to implement such a ban. In that instance, the courts quickly threw out that illegal order. But the decision of a president to act in a clear and understood violation of the Constitution for political convenience and whim sets a dangerous new precedent. Democratic leaders such as Maxine Waters went so far as to encourage such lawlessness on the part of the CDC, declaring who is going to stop them, who is going to penalize them. With attitudes such as this, we're quickly losing our status as a nation of laws. I could cite a growing list of laws our, our leaders simply will not enforce as political expediency and unfettered power have corrupted absolutely. Over the past two years, many of our state governors demonstrated the sad truth that elected leaders are only constrained insofar as they are willing to exercise self-restraint and abide by the law. Otherwise, they simply exercise raw power. I'm reminded of Joseph Stalin, who was warned to tread lightly lest he find himself confronting the Catholic Church. Stalin scoffed and asked, how many divisions does the Pope have? What application does this have to us as Christians? First, make sure that we advocate for and honor legitimate laws. Pray for those tasked with crafting, enacting, and enforcing the legitimate laws of our nation and states. Do not succumb to the temptation to let your love grow cold, even as lawlessness multiplies around us. Pray for those who are trapped in the devil's tangled web of lies to the point that they advocate for or participate in lawlessness. God loved each of them enough to send His Son to die on their behalf. Instead of driving you to discouragement or despair, the rise in lawlessness should motivate you to yearn for Jesus to reign from Mount Zion all the more. We will continue to report the signs of the times that Scripture says we should discern. They point to the urgency of our task in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we are living in the season of His return. Until He comes, may He find us faithful. The book of Deuteronomy completes our review of the Torah, all written about 3,400 years ago. And today's key verse captures the choice offered to the Jewish people in that day and age, and the choice each of us has offered even today, a blessing or a curse. That's right. Deuteronomy 30:19 is our key verse, but there are others that we find very important in God's unfolding revelation in the Old Testament, including Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10, and 29, 29. You can find commentary on all those on our website. And we're so grateful for the testimony and service of Dan and Meg Price. They really blessed us today. They certainly did. They did. And as we draw towards the end of the year, we want to emphasize the blessing God offers each of you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Our key verse has become a rallying cry for the pro-life movement. Today, we also want to extend a blessing to you and to the young people in your family. So we're offering Dr. Reagan's book, Jesus is Coming Again, for $10 each. This would make a great gift that will make your own children and grandchildren look forward to our soon returning king. I have a nephew who memorized the entire book as a very little boy and believes with all his heart that Jesus is coming soon. Well, next week we'll feature another special guest as we move into the book of Joshua. We hope you're reading in advance and picking out your own key verse from each book. The other two verses Tim cited today speak of the Lord as a faithful God who keeps His covenant and has revealed Himself and His plan to us and our children. Well, with that in mind, I'm Nathan Jones. And I'm Tim Moore saying, Look up, be watchful, for the Lord, our faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love Him, is drawing near. Tim